What are some of the key lessons that can be learned from the ransomware and other cyber attacks we've been seeing on the healthcare sector? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Ron Pelletier, founding partner at consulting firm Pandorance. Ron will be speaking to us about the lessons that he sees emerging from some of these attacks we've been seeing in the healthcare sector. So, Ron, I understand that your team at Pondurance recently worked with Hancock Health in the aftermath of the healthcare entity admitting that it recently paid about $55,000 in Bitcoin to recover access to its data after a ransomware attack. Based on Hancock's experience with that attack, what lessons are emerging for other healthcare entities faced with similar circumstances? So we were actually called in as the incident was occurring to come in and help, and that's how we became engaged with uh, with Hancock. And, you know, the lessons learned are that the reality is is that healthcare data has a lot of value to it in a couple different ways. It's certainly a health record has a great deal of information that certainly can be repackaged and sold on the dark web, so it can be monetized. But more importantly, the data itself, because of the nature of a hospital operation in patient care, it is made unavailable or encrypted is what this case with ransomware what it did, then that's another way for the bad actors to monetize is to hold it hostage and to prevent operations from uh, from continuing. So, Ron, you mentioned that your company started working with Hancock while it was mitigating the attack and afterwards. What can you tell us about how hospitals can recover from these sorts of situations and what can they do to bolster their systems and networks to be better prepared in a preventative sort of mode for these sorts of things? Certainly, the perspective is that if you think about two spectrums of security, one being Fort Knox and the other Swiss cheese, that it's very appropriate to be somewhere in the center based on the organizational risk tolerance. And becoming more Fort Knox-like, well, you're probably creating some level of impairment upon business operations. So systems aren't communicating, organizations aren't communicating. There's some blockage that's keeping them from being able to do that. And it becomes a very expensive and a very difficult to sustain type of endeavor because of the high level of security. Conversely, the Swiss cheese element becomes full of holes and it's difficult to even put in the, the even the basic protective measures. And so finding that basis in between is really what a lot of organizations should strive for. Now, that's easy to say. That sounds like a lot of consultants speak, but it's really getting a good understanding of where some of your key vulnerabilities might be. How are you exposed to the Internet? Do you have ports and services that might be enabled that aren't necessary? There is no business justification for them. All it does is create risk. If they are enabled and there is justification, are you performing mitigation procedures in order to, uh, again, mitigate the, the threat of unauthorized authentication or even attempts to brute force those types of ports to, to get into the organization in that way? So it, it's about being smart about it. If you have to do something, what can you do to sufficiently mitigate to be uh, within your level of risk tolerance? So that entails a lot of, a, a lot of knowledge that's needed about well, what vulnerabilities are present that I should really care about? So there is a balance, certainly, of ongoing knowledge as well as is trusting the advice of third parties that might be coming in providing 
services for you as an organization. So doing set up recurring scans, understanding where your vulnerabilities might lie from a point-in-time perspective at the system level, but then understanding where some of the weaknesses might lie at the process level. So how are people treating data? How do they interact with it? And how are they potentially making it less secure? So being able to find that spot of, of security is certainly important. Ron, when it comes to incident response plans, how should healthcare entities change their response plans depending on the kind of incident that they're responding to, for instance, ransomware versus other sorts of malware attacks versus insider breaches, for instance? So when you think about the NIST methodology for incident response, and that's the National Institute of Standards and Technology, there is you know, a really predefined methodology, identification, containment, eradication, and recovery. So the first step is really with identification, getting the right eyes on, making sure that you do have ample security at the front that is taking a look at things that it might be anomalous in terms of network traffic. And so being able to Put yourself in a position to understand how would we react in this case. So preparation is key, making sure that all key parts of the organization are exercised in how they would perform in an incident response type of scenario. Making sure there's a right level of preparation is key to be able to do that. And that really takes a lot of practice and, and I guess, deliberate activity in order to get Uh, everyone up to speed. I've seen plans where they're very well laid out. They've been rehearsed at a mid-management level, but when it gets up to a level of executive leadership, if they've not been involved in the testing, then they're very less inclined to follow the plan. They may even toss it out and say, here's how we're going to do this, and that might actually create even more distress as well as impact to the organization inadvertently. So once you have a lot of things going in place, you've rehearsed your plan, you know how you're going to react, and you feel like you have the right mitigation measures, then you have to be able to understand what the triggers for response are. Then as the incident is unfolding and you you discover what's happening, getting containment of the incident is very critical at this point. A lot of organizations start to think, well, what was impacted? What type of data? What do I need to do to start recovery? Well, the reality is you need to make sure that the threat is no longer at your doorstep and that you can actually contain what's happening and that you're not going to walk into a recurrence of the same incident or even something very similar if you don't have full containment. So being able to understand the vector of the intrusion or what's happening, being able to contain it in full, and then being able to eradicate the threat so it's no longer in your environment, so no longer posing a risk, and then can you move to recovery where you can then execute some of the forensic activity to suggest what was impacted, some of the discovery activities to see if data may have left the environment, if it was accessed inappropriately, and being able to respond to regulators as well as, as, as additional organizations and stakeholders. So now, Ron, we know that at Hancock Health, the organization admitted that it paid a ransom to recover its data. Do you think there are more entities than we realize in the healthcare sector that are paying ransoms, and why? 
And do you think some of these organizations might be sort of jumping the gun in paying the ransom when they could recover their data perhaps more quickly than they think they might, you know, without paying the ransom? So while I can't comment specifically on Hancock in general, I can say it really becomes a matter of what the organization, the the data that they have at hand, and you have to really respect the decision process that they, they and what the answer they may arrive at. If they decide to pay, well, there are factors involved in that that might be beyond, well, we're not able to recover. It might be that, well, to facilitate the timeliness of recovery, if we get these keys back, it's a managed fee. It's a, it's something that if we pay this, then uh, there's some assurance we're going to get our keys back and we're back in business much sooner. So there's a lot of risk that goes into it. It's certainly not a good or bad decision to pay. It just really depends on what's right for the organization based on the situation they're in, based on the conditions that they're facing and what they're overall, again, it goes comes back to some of that risk tolerance discussion uh, as well. So as far as other healthcare organizations and what they're doing, I think there's a, a lot of organizations that are opting to pay it because in the dollar amounts that these bad actors put forth as as the ransom, some feel that, well, it's a very managed, uh, manageable fee, and a lot of these bad actors, too, they have the reputation of, of making good on giving the keys to facilitate the decryption upon receiving their payment, usually in, in Bitcoin. So knowing that, that the hospital feel like feel that uh, this might be the quickest course of action. Perhaps I haven't rehearsed my backups or haven't exercised my ability to back up, so I don't know what my timelines are. The data's there. I know I can eventually recover it. I'm just not sure how long it's going to take. So they might feel that paying the ransom, getting the keys right away, and, and beginning the decryption process might be the most expeditious way to do it. And so the mission of a hospital, and given what they're faced with, I can't say it's right or wrong in them making the decision to pay. Ron, have you seen any situations in healthcare settings where an organization did pay a ransom, but they still did not get the key? So I have not seen that directly. I've, I've heard stories about it. I've read stories. You know, we deal with dozens of incidents like this in a, in a, in a given year. And we actually had one case where there was one particular key that didn't work to a critical system. And we reinitiated contact on behalf of the client back to the, the bad actors, and they responded back, oh, here, try this one or try this one or try that one. Eventually, it did work. And so I think that what we're seeing is that these actors know that they can make a quick buck. That's what their interests are, is to get paid and then, and then to leave. So it's certainly not advisable to say, well, that's their only MO. It certainly could be that there's other payloads within the ransomware that can do other things, steal credentials, install key loggers, exfiltrate data. So that all has to be analyzed in a postmortem to see what could be going on or what else you know could be happening. So it's really de- dependent on that. But I, but in, as far as our experience, again, without condoning that it's okay to pay the ransom. In most cases, we see it paid, and and the keys are are then obtained, and and decryption happens as a result. And Ron, finally, there was a Tennessee County hospital recently that said its electronic medical records vendor discovered 
that the hospital's EMR server had been attacked by some cryptocurrency mining software. How big of a risk do you think these cryptocurrency mining-related attacks are right now for the healthcare sector? Do you think we'll be seeing more of these? Yeah, you know, again, I think that when, when you have these, these bad guys that are looking to monetize their efforts, how are they going to get paid? You know, they're going to do that in any way they can. So if they can't attack you directly or if they may feel that, you know, I could ransom this data or I could exfiltrate this data or, you know what, there's a lot of processing power here. So I can install a, a crypto mining operation and leverage that. And that might be how they opt to do that. We've seen that happen before as well as we've enabled some of our monitoring equipment for and, and services for some clients. We turn it on, we've walked right into crypto mining operations and had to help them shut that down. So that can be certainly a common tactic and, you know, whether it's healthcare or any other type of organization, I think that uh, you're going to see that more and more. Thanks, Ron. I've been speaking to Ron Pelletier. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.